This is Lego Football. No, Madonna, tutti. And it's so good to have you back. This is kind of a Christmas special uh, for this podcast. I've got a guy that I've known for quite a few years. He is, uh, well, he acted as the Lazio stadium announcer for the Champions League recently. His name is Enzo Marino. He's based in Rome. Enzo. I know you speak a lot of different languages. Today, for my sake, we're going to do this in English. Welcome. Happy to be here, David. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy that you're here because it's been a long time coming. We've had a, a project happening for a couple of seasons on and off where we go back and forth. Uh, we exchange ideas and that's something I'm going to touch on a little bit later. A little project that people may think is uh, kind of mainstream, but it's not because we've done a lot of research on this. But um, we've caught up recently just by chance in Rome when we met up at the Stadio Olimpico for the Social Football Summit uh, in November. Good to see you there. How did you find that? It was cool. It was the fourth time I went there. But, uh, it started, I guess, in 2018. It's a very nice event. They basically talk about different areas related to football, like social media, storytelling, also TV rights and broadcast stuff. Yeah, so much of that stuff. It's so interesting. That was my first time. So, you, I mean, you've been there for, for four seasons now. You're like the veteran. I think it's only been going for five years. Uh, and you go there in what capacity? Because I know that professionally, you're not just a stadium announcer. This is something that's kind of new to you going to the Olympico and hyping up the, the, the crowd with substitution names and this kind of uh, information at the grounds, but um, you're a translator. Correct. I'm a simultaneous interpreter and translator. So I work in a booth most of the time when I work on-site for uh, assignments. And I was at the Social Football Summit as a simultaneous interpreter in the booth. So I was translating, I was interpreting from Italian into English and vice versa. Yeah, they, they, they call me because I also know something about football because I used to play football and I still play now. So it's not easy to find interpreters who also can talk about football. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know your exact age, but you look very young. You're saying you used to play football. What, what, where did you play? Around Rome? In uh, Italy? Yeah. I didn't play at the professional level. I was uh, I played until I was 18 in my, you know, like my hometown's club, Terracina, which is in the south of Lazio. Yeah, that's in the south. A lovely area. Very, of Lazio it's a very nice spot. Yeah. And uh, after that, I moved to Rome and I played futsal, five aside. And uh, I played uh, C1 level, then I moved to Canada, I also played there for a bit. I lived in the UK, in Bath and Bristol, and I played uh, like in some clubs there. And uh, yeah, like I enjoyed a lot, traveling around, living yeah. around and playing around yeah, different countries. Oh, if I knew you that you were playing futsal all those years ago, I would have invited you to Australia to join our team there. Yeah, it would have been cool. Also, a cameo stint. Sign you up for four or five games. Make sure we make, lift the trophy. <laughs> is it, is, uh, it, is futsal a big thing in Australia? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty big. Um, lots of different. It's very multicultural uh, in Australia. So 
there's always teams full of uh, now it's it's more mixed but growing up it was very you know all your italian friends are in one team then you've got uh -huh. serbian yeah, okay, okay. lebanese so you have different nationalities in different clubs yeah yeah it's kind of like a world cup every tuesday night I scored a few yeah. good goals. Good, good, good. Yeah, so Maybe scored a few shocking ne goals. Next time you roam, you let me know. You can join us with my team. Yeah, well, definitely, because we've been in Rome at the same time, not just this year, but but a few years back when we first met, and that was kind of sports uh, themed yeah. back then. Uh, and back then you were translating as well. And I met you when I was on the set of uh, La Notte Day Record, which is a Guinness World Record show. So you were doing the translating there and, and getting everything happening between... Explain a little bit to the listener what you would do in that situation because there was so many translators yeah, were. back then. Yeah, you're right. Like, I think eight at least because we had more different languages. So we were translating into Italian for the like, public in studio and at home. And also we were interpreting for, you know, like the, like the, the, those who, you know, who were trying to beat records and things. So, and we were translating like into their languages. For me, it was uh, Spanish in that case and English too. And uh, yeah, we had some, it was a great experience because in that context, you get to meet very interesting people. I had uh, the guy with uh, the largest uh, feet in the world. It was... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the yeah. massive feet. I remember that guy. I'm glad I didn't have to measure his feet. For those of you who don't know, I was a Guinness World Records judge. It was a 60 European size. 60. It was huge. I have a picture of my foot compared to, <laughs> to his, and it was ridiculous, like... Uh, it, it was a massive guy with a massive foot. <laughs> and where was he from? He was Turkish? No, it was, uh, I think he was from Ecuador, but I'm not sure. I need to double check. He was definitely from South America. I don't remember right now. Yeah, I'm way off by, by a couple of continents. <laughs> okay. And uh, I remember the tallest female model. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had to measure her on stage, oh, actually. That was... <laughs> Who was uh, she? Uh, did you... Did you translate for Enrico Papi, the conductor? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the very famous. Because he needed it, believe it or not. He he thought he was affluent in English, and I can yeah, tell. Yeah, he thought, but, but he was uh, he's a crazy guy. I think he's kind of very famous in Italy because in the nineties and in the like in the you know at the beginning of the two thousand, he was a conductor of Sarabanda, a very that's yeah, like a music, yeah, a music show, yeah. Show, and you had to guess the tune, and, uh, but it was uh, it was you know like famous nationwide. So yeah, he's a he's a famous guy. I I didn't really know until I, I met him on set how how big he he was, especially in his own mind. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, great guy, and 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 very. Uh, very jovial, always cracking a joke. Yeah, and, but maybe, um, like, maybe too much. I don't oh, really yeah, like he's, he's, his style. He doesn't know political correctness yeah, at all. at all. But, but maybe you can be, like, uh, you don't have to be necessarily 
politically correct you need to be but in his case uh, no, I don't know uh, I don't like his irony don't really appreciate it yeah yeah a little bit yeah. more respect yeah, yeah 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 I'm with you on that but for those of you who don't know La Notte de Record was a, a Sky Italia production and basically what we do on the show is we have the host uh, Enrico then there was myself and uh, Sophia we were the, the two Guinness World Records uh, adjudicators and people would come on the show they'd come from all around the world I remember there was um, some contestants from India, uh, Russia, uh, America. Do you remember the guy, JD? He would smash his head into the big ice box. No way. It was was unbelievable. He was a crazy guy. And what those two Vietnamese brothers going up and down the stairs, um, head handstand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, There were some things I couldn't believe I was seeing with my own eyes. So I recommend for those of you who can go and see it, YouTube, some clips or whatever, go and look up that show. Unbelievable. Uh, it was a big, big money production, uh, Fremantle Media production. And, um, and you were there to, to make sure the communications were good. Uh, so yeah. you did Spanish, Italian, and English. And English, yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a huge production. And we had also some of the interpreters of the languages, of course. We had French, Arabic, like German, and uh, many more languages, of course, because contestants were from all over the world and something interesting that I've learned there is that contestants do not try and beat only one record they try different records because that, that's basically their job you know beating records yeah they're, well they're the kind of personalities that want to challenge themselves yeah yeah I mean some amazing people some amazing personalities and I remember there was a couple of uh, contestants from Japan who would do all the crazy stuff. Yeah, it was a crazy Mr. guy. Mr. Cherry, yeah. Mr. Cherry. Yeah, Mr. Cherry. He was so good. He's such a nice guy. Uh, I needed you to translate Japanese for me if uh, if you could have because there were so many <laughs> things I wanted to ask him. Um, he did a, a crazy skit with uh, marshmallows off cushions with uh, chopsticks and he's, he's more there for the uh, younger audience for them to keep them more encapsulated with yeah. the show yeah. uh, because there's a lot of really really risky dangerous records uh, there's a guy on a yeah. on a bike that had to go across a, a line like six meters suspended in the air um, another guy uh, who had to do a similar thing but on the top of beer bottles that didn't have the caps on them and he had to follow this line of beer bottles riding his bike across the top it was insane this kind of stuff. But uh, also, did you translate for what many of our listeners will be interested to know about? Diletta Leota was on the show. Yeah, she was on the show. Like, it was in that period, she was, uh, like, really in the spotlight. And uh, But I didn't really... She was, like, she was as well... She was presenting with uh, Rico Pablo, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she came in for a couple of episodes and she... I mean, obviously, she's a big, big name, much bigger than him. Yeah. But um, and of course, she's got a lot of uh, background with. Uh, I think she started with Serie B when you know working with uh, Dazen and, and other broadcasters. And yeah, I mean, if you're going to get someone to cross over into other sporting arenas, then she'd be the right person, especially if it's at. Uh, prime time viewing on a Thursday night, for example, um, or Sun—I think it was Sunday nights—that Lenotte Day record was on. But 
and she she was great to have on the show. Yeah, there was also remember Jake LaFuria, Italian oh, rapper. Yeah, the rapper, yeah. Do you yeah. remember like the the big guy that was also like trying to you know beat some silly yeah yeah record. it was a skit it was, uh, yeah it was it was three stooges kind of stuff where he dressed up as an astronaut yeah, yeah. and was suspended from the air uh we needed some footballers maybe we needed totti in there or or you know maybe uh some kind of freestylers maybe yeah or some kind of freestylers together with some big names of football yeah that would that would have been cool would have been cool yeah. for me there was a there was a dj that was like five years old from south africa yeah yeah i know uh yeah, I saw a couple of videos. Yeah. He's amazing. I think he has a bright future ahead. Yeah, well, I think, I think he's already mixes nine or ten years old now. So yeah. I wonder how he's coming along. We'll have to look him up. I know I've got, uh, looked him up on Instagram. You're a, you're a DJ. You should like try so and, you. and uh, play with him. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. For those <laughs> of you who don't know, you organize a gig. Yeah, maybe we can organize <laughs> a, a, a triple uh, headliner gig, me, you, and him yeah, somewhere. Cool. Maybe in Pigneto. You told me that you're DJing in Pigneto somewhere. Yeah, I had some gigs like uh, with uh, vinyl, uh, like records, and uh, but also like more recently, I bought the Serato. Uh, setup, yeah. You know, it's great yeah. setup. Deep West system, so I can connect my laptop to the Serato vinyls, okay. and uh, I can play my music, my digital music, and I can control it uh, from the vinyls, which is great news because uh, in that way I still can touch the vinyls, but also have the possibility to download music and stuff. Yeah, you can stream. I, I've got the same setup. I use vinyl with my Serato interface as well. Hopefully, ah. Serato will listen to this and uh, give us a whole stack of money. Uh, yeah, it's such a great setup. And basically, for those of you who don't know what DJs do, if they're looking at a laptop, if you're in a, a nightclub and all you see is a guy looking at a laptop, people automatically think we're just playing something off iTunes. But uh, what we're doing is we're looking <laughs> through our uh, music folders because we no longer have to physically carry the records or the you know some people know it as vinyl or the cds or whatever you usually are used to seeing a dj carry into a club we just take our laptops we take our decks and we take interfaces yeah. and it all links up so that uh, through the technics turntables or whatever brand you're using the uh, signal the music will arrive through the interface onto your normal standard technics uh, head shell needle it will come out onto this specific time-coded vinyl, and then it will go back into the mixer, back out into the audio system, and that's how you hear streamed music via vinyl. But uh, obviously there's much better people explaining that on uh, YouTube or somewhere like that, but uh, yeah, that's basically what we do when we play music. And Pigneto, just going back to Roma, Pigneto is, a, is an area in Roma, and uh, you're from there, that's where you're based, and that's where I was staying during La Notte de Record, and uh, a <laughs> nice little funky area for those of you who, haven't, who have never been to that area. It's kind of south, southeast in Rome. Southeast, correct. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, where, when you were here, I wasn't here. I was in Garbatella, another very nice area in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah together with San Giovanni, two other good neighbors where I live. Pigneto is a very good, you know, neighborhood for gigs. 
like uh, for uh, eating out and also it was back in the day a traditionally popular neighborhood now it was uh, highly gentrified also by by people like me unfortunately we like coming from other cities contribute to gentrification here yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well it's, it's a real area where real romans live it's there's not many tourists there from what i can remember i was probably one of five different non-pigneto people there so uh, it was very very real rome it doesn't have the smell of the uh, you know the the areas like your trastevere's and your testaccio yeah. and, and this it has its tourist own. traps yeah no tourist, tourist traps, traps. <laughs> yeah i remember the other staff the other people that were on the set of from guinness world records when we would go for coffee in the morning, because there was a lot of bars there, a lot of coffee shops, um, that's what bar is, for those of you who don't know. It's basically a coffee shop that, that sells a bit of alcohol. But uh, they would go and get coffee in the morning and they'd say, okay, my turn to shout. They'd get four coffees and then the bill would come and it would be four, four euros, four euros, 50 cents. And they would think that it's four euros per coffee because that's what it costs in the UK. So they were feeling like they needed to donate money to the coffee shops because they couldn't believe how cheap the coffee was and how good it was. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they were amazed because they were expecting 15, oh, yeah. 20 euro bill and they're basically just getting four cappuccini. Off it comes, nice and quick as well. It doesn't take 10 minutes like it does in the UK. So, uh, yeah. and uh, you get a croissant, whatever it is, a cornetto, and it's two euros, three euros maximum if you're getting something expensive and yeah. that's it you're off you know italians love that kind of breakfast in the morning i don't know if that's what you eat and i was uh yeah i was before like starting this podcast i was at the bar and i had a uh, cafe schiumato al vetro with uh with uh, like cornetto that's in my case it was uh, rodrigo with uh, chocolate chocolate of course uh, we had so many different like types of coffee and uh, of course all of them are kind of short and uh, you know like they cost one year one year one year ten you know like if yeah, people complain about the 10 cents yeah, we can. I do complain about that. Yeah, it was so good to have the, you know, like one euro coin and to say, yeah, make it a euro clean. Yeah, there you go. You know, yeah, clean, perfect. Now you have to look for that ten cent coin. So, like, you know, like, oh, look, I think it's something that we could get a petition and send it to the yeah. Mrs. Mel- <laughs> Meloni. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but uh, this is a casual bar chat as well that we're having right now so it's basically like we're in the the bar in the morning and because this is being recorded friday morning just before christmas are you going to leave a cornetto out for babbo natale come on tell us the truth are you happy are you excited for christmas yeah yeah, i'm excited because i'm going back to my hometown yeah see my family my friends do you know have to some quality time with uh, some people I haven't seen much during the last year, so I'm gonna play a couple of matches, friendly matches with uh, with uh, some people, which makes me excited. And uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, some very like proper Italian dinners. Gonna celebrate tonight, October the 24th. 
and uh, with uh, dinner it's gonna be a fish based dinner because that's what we eat and uh, on Christmas Eve in Italy and then the day after the 25th Christmas Day you have a massive lunch that's gonna be probably meat-based to give you an idea but you I'm sure you probably know all of this because you have Italian roots. Well, the, have the fish origin. is there because you're turning the, the bread into fish, and then I guess Boxing Day is you're turning loaves into lambs. You have the meat based. <laughs> Boxing Day, it's only the 26th, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Boxing Day, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, some people, this, uh, the fact that Boxing Day is only the 26th uh, is uh, unknown to many Italians, but I am assuming that it's because on Boxing Days only boxers are left. Am I right? Because I said that to a friend of mine. I wouldn't want to have to say uh, that, that he said some bullshit. You want to know what Boxing Day is? Yeah, what is that? Okay, so Boxing Day, I think, I'm going to Google it at the same time, but I think it is to do with servants in his, okay. historically having their day after serving the rich families on Christmas, but let, let, let me just look it up while we're here. Boxing Day. <laughs> okay, oh, let's have yeah. a look, Enzo. I will have to have let you send my personal excuses to this friend of mine to whom I said some bullshit about Boxing Day because <laughs> I said to her, oh, it's because only boxers are left on <laughs> Boxing Day. So, uh, well, sorry about that, Elena. I know you're... you're <laughs> Let's have a look here. It has nothing to do with the sport of boxing and everything to do with the Victorians. Like most traditions around Christmas, here's everything you need to know. Let's have a look. Boxing Day, how did it get its name? The name comes from a time during Queen Victoria's reign when the rich used to box up gifts to give the poor. Okay. Uh, boxing Day was traditionally a day for servants, a day when they received a special Christmas box from their masters. Okay, there you go. So the servants would also go home on Boxing Day to give Christmas boxes to their families. So they would, yeah, they would work on Christmas okay. and then, uh, yeah, then they would go home. And I guess it's all to do around, around actual boxes. So okay, so it has to do with boxes. Right. Yeah. Good, good, good. Look, I hope everyone, all the servants on Boxing Day this year, have a good Christmas. <laughs> Which is good Christmas, everyone. But you were serving at the Stadio Olimpico. Tell us a little bit about that. We'll segue in. Enzo was uh, preparing. So what you did was you were the stadium announcer. You had that gig in English. And then your role was to mingle between the two coaches and translate for them during their press conferences. It yeah. was yeah. Lazio and Celtic. I'll throw it over to yeah. you. Tell us about yeah, it. Was, uh, it was a very intense two-day assignment. And also, it was the very first time for me in Champions League. Not the way I would have wanted to, to get there, but it's still something. Because back in the day when I was I wanted to, it was my dream to, to play Champions League. I didn't make it as a player, but I made it as, a, as an interpreter. Yeah, and you called the players' names. There you go. Yeah, it's still something. So uh, two days, the first day, it was uh, there was the match uh, press conference in Formello, 
Lazio training center. Yeah. For those who don't know that. Yeah, Ford Medlo is the training center of Lazio, for those of you who are new to that information, but continue on. Yeah, and uh, basically you have the Lazio coach there, Sarri, together with uh, a player of his choice who can like also answer uh, questions by the press, by the Italian press, Lazio press, uh, and also by Celtic press, if they go there, which in that case happened, because on many occasions the the away team uh, press uh, can also not go there. In that case, uh, there were also Celtic journalists and reporters, uh, which is why I had to be there as well. So Lazio uh, had Sarri and Pedro. Uh, it was so good to talk to him before the press conference because uh, he's a hero to me. He's a, you know, a very talented player and uh, yeah some they were asked a couple of things so the I remember that the Lazio press was complaining the fact I was also asking why uh, Lazio at the moment uh, unlike the last year is not dangerous offensively and also they didn't shoot from long distance which was uh, a huge strength for them in the past. And uh, yeah, the answer by Sarri uh, was that they don't know like why they're not producing much in terms of, uh, you know, like dangers in the area. Yeah, and old generation, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Chance yeah. generation even. But um, And the other coach was Brendan Rodgers? Yeah, Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, I met him at the Olympic Stadium. And uh, which took place uh, the same day at seven, I guess, at uh, six forty-five p.m. That was the uh, match, the pre-match press conference by the Celtic coach Brendan Rogers, and it was with uh, Scales, Liam Scales. Liam Scales, yeah, the, the defender. Yeah, defender. Yeah. Yeah, they were asked a couple of things also in relation to the to the other match they had and also the match that Lazio Celtic match a couple of years ago. They were asked whether the huge Lazio audience was something, you know, like uh, scary. That, that in, for, for the, intimidating for, for and scary. Yeah, yeah. intimidating. Yeah. But they answered that they're kind of used to that. So, because also Celtic fans are quite oh, yeah. loud. At, at, at uh, Parkhead, sure. where they play, and also at Ibrox, where Rangers play, I can imagine how intimidating it would be to go out there if you're the away team. So, that derby there is, is sensational, the Glasgow derby. And, and so you. Yeah, the match has some kind of concerns in terms of different ideologies, you know, like uh, Lazio and Celtic somehow represent two different political yes. stances. And there were some but, issues. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, definitely. I read your articles, by the way, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I wrote a piece on that and uh, there was some issues between the, the Lazio and, well, of, of course, the Celtic fans are accusing the Lazio fans of being right-wing Nazis and the, and the other way it goes, 
is that Lazio fans think that Celtic fans are communists. So, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Ideological, you know, like <laughs> debate. Yeah. And also something about potatoes. Uh, thanks for explaining yes. me that. But uh, yeah, because they, of the they, Irish they, heritage of, of Celtic. The Irish heritage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because uh, for those of you who don't know, a couple of centuries ago, the Irish were, uh, I would say, I don't want to say starved. I guess they were. Uh, I don't know enough about it, but uh, the, and all they had was uh, potatoes, and then that is kind of the the stigma that's attached with the the uh, days of being oppressed by the the English. I think it was. And uh, that has carried over to Celtic, even though they're a Scottish club, their Irish uh, heritage sort of links them with that. And of course, as a fan, you look for any way to sledge the opposition possible. And the Lazio fans tuned into that. So, uh, yeah, so there was a, a few issues beforehand. There was a few banners before the, the game, wasn't there, that was uh, telling them to go and uh, have showers. Uh, I mean, that, that's a common one. Yeah. Isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it really comes from a place of racism. I'm sure there's an inkling of that in some of these cases, but I, th I honestly think it's just trying to have a psychological edge uh, between people that are just delightful idiots at times. But uh, what do you think, Enzo? Yeah, like when you take, you know, like extremism to is always negative, I think, regardless of ideology. If you like, if you believe that your ideology is the only possible, you know, like way to live life and the only possible solution, I think. And if you don't consider other possibilities, I think you, you, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. I, th I think you shouldn't insist, and uh, and, that, and that's been a thing growing up in Australia. People that move there were always told if you move to Australia, you should adapt to the multicultural philosophy. If you're moving to uh, Iran, don't expect it to be full of uh, Christians, Jews, and Buddhists. It's just when you yeah. move somewhere, adapt to their way of life and don't insist on yours. Or if it's multicultural, then you can do what you want in your own house and, and in public arena. You have to respect everyone else's um, opinions, tolerances, freedom of expression, freedom of, of speech. And that's the way it is, and uh, that's how it should be. And I think Lazio supporters are known for their aggravated, aggressive kind of stance on, on uh, yeah. politics. Uh, and you know, I guess it even feeds into these days where it's the grandson of Benito Mussolini <laughs> on the books at Lazio. He's a player. He's actually a, a, a talented uh, a midfielder, I think. And he's on loan at Pescara, for those of you who don't know. Mussolini, go check that up. I think he's lost... The surname, but I know his middle name is Benito. Uh, I think it's uh, Florian. Floriano is the is the surname, but uh, yeah, it's Mussolini's grandson or great grandkid. It must be a great grandkid by now, surely. Uh, getting on a bit, David. Uh, but uh, the Celtic fans had started it to be fair, right? Because back in the first uh, the the reverse fixture of Celtic against Lazio. They were waiting for the Lazio fans with you know, accusing them of being right wing, all these other things. So yeah. it goes Fascist, both ways. Say, I think. And also they say Vaffanculo. Yeah. Yeah. It's not wrong. And these are the, things. I mean, some people will read into it and think it's uh, it's racist. And I, I think, honestly, it's just between 
two sets of fans. That's the main thing about it. Yeah, and then, of course, it can get out of hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this time, luckily, there weren't, you know, like crashes at all after the game. Well, yeah, it was uh, just signs, just heckling, yeah. just, you know, booing each other in the stadium. And that's okay. how it should be. For, for those of that's you- fair enough. I mean, yeah, that, that's how it should be. Like, that's how it should be. After the game, like, you know, uh, crashes create, you know, uncomfortable situations. Oh, yeah, that's and just immaturity. Danger around, that's the thing. In Australia, we have a sport called uh, Australian Rules Football. And it's a situation where it's very physical and... Of course, there are some clashes in the crowd, but... It's like cl- cl- a culture of Fiorentino, yes. which I'm sure you know about. Yeah, yeah. except it's a little more organized than that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, go and look up Australian rules football and you will see that it's very physical, especially if you look up the highlights from the 1980s. People, players could punch each other, these kind of things, and get away with it. There was no red cards. So... Uh, you could get suspended, of course, later on after the game. Uh, you go to the tribunal, they will suspend you for four, six games, whatever it is, depending on what you've done. Uh, plenty of players have been suspended for it, but you cannot get sent off during the game. So if it's a grand final, you need to punch someone, well, you could have gotten away with it at one point. Uh, but in the crowd is what I want to talk about. The fans, the AFL fans will have 100,000, 90,000 people in a stadium, and you it's wow. not seated where you have just the fans, and I'll just use Lazio Roma for this uh, analogy here. You, d- you don't seat them apart. You're just seated amongst each other. So you could be seated next to a Roma supporter if you're a Lazio supporter, wow. and, and you're not fighting. You can talk to each other. Maybe uh, the rational fans are, are watching the game, and they're not too biased. You know, oh, my God, I can't believe we missed a goal. Oh, that was a good goal, and you would be talking about the opposition. Then there are those that want to drink a lot and uh, misbehave, and maybe they will be a bit more irrational. But it's very rare that you will see a fight break out amongst fans. Uh, I mean, you will see it, but usually the supporters of both teams will immediately put a stop to it or try and break it up. Whereas the issue with European hooliganism, I think, is that we have this kind of um, group mentality where obviously men behave differently in groups compared to when they're alone and if you see men in a pub in england for example you see one guy by himself he's very polite as soon as he's got two of his mates around him he changes his attitude changes his mannerisms and this is what is we can you know transpose over into the stadium arenas and we see that men behave differently in groups and when you fuel that with alcohol or whatever else they're doing uh, that is the issue. And I saw a lot of that when I went to the Euro final at Wembley. The the English supporters were very, because they played it at night, and this is why they traditionally used to play everything during the day, because those supporters are going yeah. drinking at 10 in the morning. By the time it comes to 8 p.m. to play a game. They've been drinking for hours yeah, there. They were laid out on Holy. the streets out, outside the stadium before the game. Yeah, And, and leaving the stadium, I, I was stepping over. I had to take off i wore my fiorentina jersey and uh, because i didn't want to wear an italian one just in case i thought fiorentina batistuta this kind of stuff and and, and it worked i'll tell you that uh, but i put a, a jumper over the top when 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 i left because italy won it for those of you who don't know 
and I knew that there would be a lot of salty people in the streets. So getting to the car, because I drove, I didn't drink at all, uh, we had to be careful. And uh, I took three English people with me and they couldn't believe, they, they thought, because the, I got tickets for them in the Italian section, they thought that they were going to be harassed by other Italians. I said, listen, the people in the Italian section, and we have to remember it was during lockdown, so they were restricting people flying in. They wanted to, yeah. to the, the, basically they offered Italian supporters tickets that were already living in England. They didn't want people flying in from Rome okay, or wherever. Yeah, yeah, wow. And we, there was only about 6,000 of us in a very small section behind the goal where Bonucci scored, or where both goals were scored actually. And uh, they were worried that the Italian supporters were going to rough them up because that's what they're used to with their own fans between, you know, uh, you know, Millwall, Chelsea, these QPR, these London, these London clubs. And when we got there, I said, look, these are people that wash dishes that have moved over from Italy to England to, to start a, a new life or to have a new experience. It was very, very casual, very enjoyable. Um, the Italians singing before the match in their own little section where the bars are, but it was the Brits. And of course, it's their home game. So you can understand there's a, the weight of numbers are going to influence the behavior. But they were so intoxicated that I was stunned. It really was a slap in the face for me. And I think it's, it's one thing to, to enjoy the game, but you need to be conscious for the game, I think, Enzo. And also, that's a credit to Italian fans because I've been to games in stadiums around Italy. There's not much drinking, to be honest. And you can buy alcohol at the games, because you know I've been to the Brit. I think it's a cultural, it's a cultural issue. We it do is. drink in Italy, but not as much as you, as the Brits do. I also lived in Bath and Bristol, so I know a bit about the pub mentality and also the, the way the way they drink is uh, like completely different compared to how we drink. Like uh, in Italy. You do have a couple of beers, but you don't want to be like you don't want to be completely knackered after. Yeah, <laughs> good choice of okay. words. And uh, you, yeah, I mean, you, it's it's a lighter drinking in Italy, of course. You in, in the UK, you drink for real. You drink. You, you go out to drink. That's the only purpose. Of a, of a night out in Italy, it's something yeah, it's part of it, but of course, it's a different style. It's a different way. It's of one element it. of the social aspect, whereas yeah, of course, it feels because in Italy, I believe that the Brits do have this kind of need because they tend to be more introvert without alcohol. They do need it to socialize. In Italy, we have more dialogue moments, more. Uh, quality conversation also during the day we are allowed to to talk to people I mean in a in, and also to express our feelings more we don't need to wait to be drunk to to say to people oh I like your you know uh, I like your jacket or whatever that is because that's what I experienced when I was in Bath yeah, where yeah. I, during my Erasmus people talk to me only when they were drunk yeah, because they came out of their they, shell. They were, they were shy. They were, 
they I felt like they didn't have the capacity the ability to you know to have a casual conversation yeah. during the day yeah the, uh, so alcohol is what makes them you know <laughs> it helps capable. it helps them come out of their yeah. shell I, I've noticed as a as an immigrant into the UK that uh, Brits are probably the most polite people on the planet and yes I back you up on your statement they use the alcohol as the way to get out of that personality and into the next and sometimes when the men do it it's a little over the top believe me DJing around these traps I can tell you the women yeah. are not shy but uh, the men especially they they um, they use alcohol as a, as a tool to open up and uh, even express their opinions and emotions and these kind of nah. stuff whereas in Italy yeah, especially Italians born in Italy they're hardwired with that already in and it's a very different feel. And I guess that translates to the stadiums as well because I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of fans that drink, the Italian fans that drink before the game, but like you said, it's to a specific extent, one or two, three beers maximum. They go in there, mm -hmm. they, they're there for the team. They're, of course, they're there to play mind games with the, with the opposition fans, the traveling fans that come from wherever. But... It's an occasion and I guess win, lose or draw, they're going to do it the next week. So they need to be back in good form, fit. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's an issue. I guess we'll, 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 we'll go deeper into that another time. But yes. uh, uh, another thing I wanted to ask you, and this relates to the psychology of, of culture, of football to, to some degree. Which team do you support? Because you're announcing Lazio and you're talking to the, to the coach of Lazio. You're going to lunch with them and talking with the coaches and <laughs> hanging out. But are you a Lazio supporter? I hope no, you're not a Roma supporter. Come no, on. I'm not a Lazio supporter. I'm not a Roma supporter. Like, surprisingly, even though I was, uh, I was born uh, in Naples and uh, I was raised in Terracina, south of Lazio, which means south of Italy. I so north of Napoli and in between Napoli and Rome, right? In between Napoli and Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually really halfway uh, between the two cities and it's influenced by, you know, both cultures you know, in a very balanced way, I would say. It's very, and it's a seaside town where you're from? It's a seaside town, yeah. Yeah. It's a town of, like, fishing and also, like, we have some very interesting local products like uh, strawberries and uh, other stuff. So it's a farming and fishing land, I would say. It's, yeah. it's actually what near Latina, Frosinone. Yeah, yeah. The province is Latina, yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. All right. So, yeah, uh, I was raised there because my parents moved there work and uh, I support AC Milan uh, the way we call it in Italy Milan Milan uh, why uh, because back in the day I, I was uh, during during my childhood at the beginning I was uh, a Juventus supporter because when you don't have a you know like when your uh, local club um, is not in the Serie A is in, in my case was yeah. in Eccellenza. Oh wow! Really low in the uh, it's like a fifth division, and and yeah. fourth division has like a hundred and seventy teams. So uh, yeah, you yeah. can imagine. In, in Italy, in Italy, you have terza categoria, 
which is really the bottom of the ranking. Uh, it's not even football, in my opinion. It's just that's where that's where I would moving. be playing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the Sanjay's League, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Sanjay League is. Uh, I I play there. I play the Sanjay League. <laughs> nice, nice. It was fun. Well, it was good fun. And it was on Sundays, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes Sundays, Saturdays too. Yeah, Sunday League football. I guess it's the the, the terminology. So Terza Categoria is is where it all starts. Yeah, where it all starts. Then you have Segunda Categoria. Uh, then you have Prima Categoria, which starts to look like real football. Then you have Promozione, Eccellenza, and then you have uh, uh, Lega Pro, yeah. Serie D, well, Lega Pro. Well, Serie D is, uh, I'm not sure if they're part of Lega Pro. Are they part of them? Because I'm not sure if they're classed as professional. I, I think it's professional, yeah. I, there were some changes, like recently, but as far as I remember, it should be Serie D, uh, uh, Lega Pro, the, back in the day was uh, Cidue and Ciuno. Yeah. Well, Chidue was more or less fourth division back. I'm talking nineties. I'm not sure about. Yeah, it was fourth division. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so yeah, uh, basically, what happens when you don't have your local club in the Serie A, you pick like uh, one of the Italian top clubs. uh, I guess if you want to watch the top, the top players are always with one of the big three teams. Therefore, if you're and look, it, it, this also happens in Calabria, Sicily, Puglia. They, a lot of people, they support Inter and Juventus in those areas. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And if they go, uh, the, the crazy thing is that if they went to to the stadium, like the the, the local fans, that oh the, yeah, they they will look at them in a weird yeah. way. So go if, home. no, they give the, they will give their own life. They will look at them. Esteroni, like yeah, yeah, south yeah. Uh, person yeah. from the south of Italy. So it's so weird. You have this uh, massive uh, Juventus uh, supporter club in Calabria. That yeah, it's totally yeah. crazy. And they, they also culturally, they generally they hate one another because in Italy there is this massive distinction between the north and the south in terms of culture. And for many different historical reasons, uh, we could definitely delve into and go more in depth in, a, in another day. Uh, yeah. Well, now, I, I think... support AC Milan because of a player that was a very. I, I want you to guess it. It was a, a striker. It was Ibra- from east ba. of Europe. Uh, ba. Uh, no, no. It was... <laughs> <laughs> from the bar, <laughs> Ibrahim Ibra- 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 Bar, Ibrahimovic, Ibrahim Bar. But it was from the east of Europe. Okay, east of Europe. I'm gonna go with uh, either Savicevic or Shevchenko. No. Yeah, you're right. Cause uh, uh, I wasn't, I, I wasn't support. I was too young to to experience. Savicevic's career, and uh, so uh, you're right when you say Shevchenko. I I started to support AC Milan because my cousin uh, he told me, oh Shevchenko uh, will play for AC Milan next season, 
uh, I'm going to be a AC Milan supporter. What are you going to do? Are you going to stick <laughs> to... I was in a transition moment. So after Juventus, a couple of years, Juventus, then I realized I didn't like the club because uh, they had the, some rumors said that they, <laughs> they were some kind of thieves. <laughs> I know, with I know. The, those with rumors. the referee, with the referee, you know, there were... The, the getting a watch yeah getting. <laughs> that's yeah. what I meant you, you know so many things about football hey look I yeah. predicted Calciopoli uh, because look you're, you're a Milan supporter obviously you started as a Juventus supporter so when you're a supporter of a club you try and turn a as we say keep one eye closed or turn a blind eye to specific things that are happening yeah. there were too many issues before VAR was around not that I'm pro-VAR, as a commentator, it eats up a lot of my life, but it's, uh, it was a situation where I was noticing a lot of interesting refereeing calls. Now, I'm not going to say that there was a big corruption or not, because honestly, I don't know. I, I, haven't, I don't know enough about the investigations, but as a biased anti-Juve, anti-Milan, anti-Inter support, because I'm a supporter of the smaller clubs, mm-hmm. it's not that I don't like the big three. I just like competitiveness between all the clubs so i want to see some of the underdogs win i love underdogs and in fact i'm writing i'm writing an article about bologna at the moment for forbes so it's going to be out later today and uh, i talk about how even if you're a big team supporter we all love an underdog still and for me uh, growing up it was uh, a time where um, napoli was the only southern club so for you it was searching for um a big teams to support so you can connect more with, with football. Yep. And this happens around the world because you can see a lot of Australian Italians, American Italians, they do the same thing. They, or they follow what their fathers are doing. I'm a Juventino, or Interista, whatever. But me, I wanted to be closer to my father's heritage. And there, there was no Catania, no Palermo, no Messina, no... There was no teams from the South except for Napoli and they were rubbish at the time. So, it, they were, you know, for those of you who, who know, when Maradona left Barcelona to go to Napoli, they were getting relegated, more or less. He saved them from going down. And uh, it was a way to actually get my interest in, in Serie A football because growing up in Australia, you just know one thing, rugby league, cricket, and that's it, uh-huh. where, where I'm from. So we didn't even have... We would see Serie A two weeks later on the TV, some replay. So this is the oppression that I grew up with, Enzo. Uh, not having Serie A, but then it got better. We got it, it, it got a lot more popular thanks to because how how great Serie A was back then, unbelievable. And um, you know, from uh, Klinsmann, Van Basten, uh, Zico, all these players. So for me, it was uh, attaching myself to Napoli. Now we're not Napolitani at all. And growing up, going to a Catholic school, it was a situation where a lot of other Italians were there. And it was just like me and two other guys supporting Napoli. Everyone supporting uh, Inter, Juve and Milan. Uh, mainly, uh, I think at the time it was more Milan because they were very, very good. It was the Saki era. Yeah. With, uh, you know, uh, Savicevic, Boban, all those players, Desai, uh, Hulit, all, all, all those guys. So, uh, so I'm trying to get a timeline for you. It's, it's a situation where... You were at the age where I guess you, Juventus had won the Champions League. Ravanelli, Viali left. Del Piero was the main guy. Inzaghi was there. Vieri yeah. was yeah. in and yeah. out. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then Shevchenko joined Milan. Two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. Before, before uh, AC Milan won the Champions League against Juventus. That was the. Oh, that the, I call this a gold digger moment. Did you choose yeah. Milan then because they won the Champions no, League? No, before that. Not before okay. that. It was. Okay. Uh, it, it was when Shevchenko arrived. And uh, the year he scored that crazy solo goal against Lecce, I guess. And uh, yeah, it was um, it was the beginning of the uh, Ancelotti era. After uh, who was it? Zaccheroni, I guess. I guess Zaccheroni was. Exactly, was like 1998 when he won the scudetto. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was the Scudetto, and then uh, after that, yeah, Ancelotti came, I guess. Yeah, Ancelotti came, Ancelotti. And, and there was a good, good time, but uh, I actually was going for Milan in that final in 2003 at Wembley because uh, I wanted Costa Corta to win before he retired, uh -huh. even though he still stayed on because I was a big Billy Costa Corta fan. Of course, Where are you? Where oh, are you? I, I love Costa Corta, yeah. <laughs> More than because he's an underdog in Milan, it's in Milan's defense. Our okay, you know, because they've got too many good defenders, yeah. But. We had we had the iron defense back in the day with uh Maldini, Nesta, uh, Stan, <laughs> and Cafu. Yeah, I mean, you, look, I, I've done a piece uh on the Milan best 11 of all time, I came up with 11 different teams, that's how much depth they have, Enzo. When you actually study all the players that have come in and out of that club, they are the it's dripping, as my yeah, friend Emmett Gates says. They were dripping with talent. Talent that uh, I actually went for a, a couple of uh, interesting selections because I put Cesare Maldini in the in their best eleven because it's not just on talent; it's Did on you? what you achieve okay, for the yeah, club yeah. at the time. Without without Cesare Maldini, they would not have built. The, the you know the the big success because he was there in the 60s and he was the first um, captain to to win the Champions League as well or the European Cup for the club these kind of moments that helped build the the DNA as they call it the dynasty uh, for for Milan and he was one of the key elements so and he was a great player as well come on so uh, he's in my team I'll, I'll put the link up but it's yeah, I guess um, that's where our Heritage starts, you know, like with yeah, Cesare yeah. Maldini and then with his son. And then who else was in your uh, in your squad? Oh, in the squad. Uh, okay, so I went with Rossi in goal because he's just... Look, Milan have a lot of great players, but and you could have gone with Lorenzo Buffon, but I did not choose Buffon in goal because he went to Inter after. And for me, that's a blasphemy. You know what I mean? That's... Okay, uh, okay, yeah. Moving you, from one you, side you get points deducted if you go to your rival. City. Yeah, yeah, and he won the Scudetto with Inter like as well. Figure, like the 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 most and famous example of doing that, Luis Figo, who went from uh, uh, Barcelona to Real Madrid. Yeah, didn't he? You can, look at Pedro, Lazio to Roma. Yeah, Come Pedro, on, yeah. these are the kind of moments where um, it's. Uh, it's a blasphemy. It's a it's a question of loyalty, and I understand that players want to leave a legacy and they want to play for the best clubs. 
But can you imagine if Messi went to Real Madrid? Come on. Or Ronaldo to to Barcelona or Ronaldo left Juventus to go to to Inter. You know, these things are... I remember Figo being thrown like, uh, you know, a pork head at... Uh, am I right? No. no something, <laughs> I don't they, know about that. They threw something like over him like during a game and like Figo yeah it was uh, it was something uh, huge that happened during was it a years. cow head alright I'm going to look that up hang on uh, Figo what do I put in a, a pig's head yeah. actually it's come up as soon as you write Figo pig it comes up yeah you're right there yeah, yeah Barcelona yeah. versus Real Madrid yeah 14 years ago uh, <laughs> When was it? The curious incident of the pig's head at the Nukam. Wow, that's right. There's too many events in football to remember. But going back to the Milan team, I went with the two Maldinis, right and left back, Cesare Paolo. Uh -huh. uh, center backs were Franco Baresi and Alessandro Costocurta. Uh, defensive midfielder, Albertini. Mezzala one, Clarence Seidorf. Mezzala two, Gianni Rivera. Kaká was my number 10. All strikers, right. strikers, Marco van Basten, and Shevchenko. Okay. So that's okay, right? Your favorite players in there. It was tough, man. It was, uh, yeah, definitely. It was, uh, I asked a lot of Milan fans for their to, opinion. You, you had to leave out many top players, I guess. It was a very... You know, oh, like, it's, we it, are you don't know who to, to leave. I had to leave out yeah, people. Come so, on. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, Rijkaard. <laughs> what do you do in these situations? Uh, you want to leave out it's about, because Rijkaard was choices, only there for four yeah. years. Yeah, I actually you, explained you, like, the, cri the, the criteria you like you consider were like the attachment also to the jersey, I guess, and oh, also yeah. the, the trophies won and the, like overall impact they had. Uh, with the club, yeah. So I and also like take Sadov for example. He was there for ten years, but he yeah. left Inter to go to Milan. See what I mean? Yeah. He went from Inter from one from the from the ultimate rival to Milan. So it was joining the promised land. If you yeah, know. yeah. In AC Milan, he like he started a new life. It was yeah, uh, it's a new uh, life. Plus, he's leaving the enemy to come to yeah. to Milan, and therefore he deserves to be in the side. Well, that's at least. It doesn't... See, Buffon was the other way. Lorenzo Buffon, the father of Gigi. He went the other way. He went from Milan to Inter and then won the Scudetto with Inter. So for me, you cannot be in a, in a Milan team. Uh, the, 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 the top 11, just for that thing. So um, especially with a, with a team as revered, a club as revered as Milan. So they have so many good players. Like uh, I'm actually writing an extension of this article, which I will get to finish one day because there's too many players to sort through. But I've come up with 11 different teams, like the best 11, second best, third best, all the way down to 11 wow. best. That's how good they are. And, uh, you know, the Rivera I put in the team because, you know, th that, that uh, spell he had, he was there for so long, like 18, 19 years. Yeah. He won the Ballon d'Or. You know, I think there was. I left out George Weah, who won a Ballon d'Or. Yeah, Weah. Yeah. 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 So, but but he was he wasn't there for long enough compared to what the other teams did. So when you're going to look at a, a best eleven for Napoli, for example, Victor Osman will be there, even if he's only there for four years. But at Milan, they have such a pedigree of of, of 
players that you have to take in all these other it's factors. Like, because we had two golden eras actually: the Saki one and the like uh, the prime Ancelotti one. You know, like uh, when oh yeah, won because Pirlo was in his prime. Gattuso, right, yeah, Nesta, like, yeah. In that case, I, I, with Pirlo, it created a new position, a new concept of. Uh, uh, of the midfielder, so he created the playmaker in football. Actually, the the bottom like side uh, of the midfield, you know, like uh, Pirlo back in the day, he used to play um, a winger, wasn't it? Like left. Pirlo was well, actually he came to Australia with the Olympic team, and he beat he he scored the goal. I'm pretty sure against Australia. It was like under 23s. And back then he was like a number 10. Um, yeah, kind of like a striker or sitting behind the striker. And then as he got older, they put him, someone tried him at um, defensive, you know, regista, this kind of, uh, maybe they tried him as a mezzala, then a regista. Yeah, mezzala, it was, it was mezzala at Inter Milan, I guess. Yeah, and then when he went to Brescia with Baggio, I think that was it. They saw what he did with Baggio and they said, that's it. He's he's playing in midfield because yeah, after, his distribution uh, maybe of the after, ball. After that incredible, insane assist, like for... for uh, against uh, Van der Sar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 man. That's my favourite goal in Serie A, that one yeah. there, because I'm a massive Robbie Baggio fan. And it's a Brescia unreal, goal. Unreal, unreal. clubs. Right. Oh, that was unreal. Goal. Control, control, ball control, ball control, and... In one touch, <laughs> and it's a, a tiny, in front of a goal. Yeah, a tiny club against the best club in the in the country, the biggest club in the country, and it is Baggio, a former Juventino, and with a couple of uh, really talented players. Because back in that era, also with Brescia, was uh, Tony uh, yeah. Guardiola was there for a little bit. Guardiola, you're right. Pirlo in midfield, the Filippini brothers. And that, for me, was the best goal. The best goal. Also, Roberto Baggio is just a, a phenomenon. If the thing that really gets to me is how people say, "Oh, to be the best player of all time, you need to be winning a World Cup." But I mean, you go into a World Cup final with a hamstring injury, like he did in yeah. 1994, and then. He misses the penalty, but as he missed the penalty, I think Masato missed the penalty, but no one cares. Yeah. It's just Baggio, you know? It's just and Baggio. The, like, you don't expect something like this from uh, like from uh, a player like him. Like, like, uh, well, well you wouldn't were, expect it, yeah. but you, he shouldn't have played in the final because yeah, against Bulgaria, played, yeah. he had the hamstring injury. He was crying. He knew that he was out. So, But Saki wanted him to play. And of course, Saki's legacy is he lost the World Cup final, so he's... Uh, pissed off with Baggio, so that was the end with, with Saki and Baggio. So 1996, Baggio didn't go to the Euros, and yeah. uh, we saw other players. That was definitely that a turning point, like for Italian football. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, Saki tried out 89 players as a, as the Italian coach, and uh, Baggio and lots of other players. We did a, a piece for uh, the Gentleman Ultra last week. It's uh -huh. the players who debuted with Italy but didn't really play much after that and and my player I chose was Ciccio Baiano who was a Fiorentina player started with Foggia and Saki called him up in the, the early 90s uh, for some games when 
obviously you were a little bit too young for the 1991 qualification campaign. Italy did not I make born, it. I was born that year. There you go. <laughs> well, we needed you uh, to be a bit older and on the pitch instead, but uh, <laughs> because it was a bad time after 1990. It was um, Saki taking over from, I think it was uh, Azelio Vicini. And Vicini's Italy were struggling because only one team could qualify from the group to go into the Euro 92. And the Soviet Union was in Italy's group and they went through, so Italy missed out. But in the last two games, Italy needed to beat Norway, uh, Cyprus, and they just drew with the Soviet Union nil-nil. So that was the game where Vicini was sacked. Saki came in and immediately Saki called up uh, Bayano, Baggio was there, Vialli, uh, Rizzitelli, these players like that. And Bayano had two chances. Basically, you need to win us the game or that's it. He never got picked again. So he was a huge talent. Of course, Italy had too many players then because if Bayano was around now, he would probably be in the Italian team without a problem. Uh, probably one of the best in Serie A. But um, back then, he was just another guy, you know, because uh, there were too many good players. Uh, you got Zola, Di Canio could never even play for Italy. So. Uh, yeah, and some players who like you don't have anymore today, like uh, like very talented players, like real number ten. Like today, yeah, the, the, the nineteen nineties really, were full of number tens. Yeah, Italy. Now we have like, nothing. Italy don't produce anymore those kind of players. I guess like some say it's because we don't play anymore in the streets as we used to. Like yeah, uh, PlayStation uh, instead. PlayStation now is the big thing. But yeah. uh, there's more to it, I guess. Also, like uh, the market transfer and the, the role of the agents are somehow impacting, like the, the possibility oh, yeah. for Italy to produce new talents. Because when you have uh, like twenty-year-old uh, player, uh, he could play in the first team uh, from Primavera, and you but. He, he, he won't play because you buy players from other countries. So, and he, exactly. you need to, a balance. And he has balance. to go with uh, the famous Gavetta. So start from the Lega Pro, Serie Yeah, you need to earn your way. Yeah. Yeah, you need to work your way up. Yeah. Say, yeah, yeah. But uh, you may not make it. So? What do they call it? Fare la Gavetta? Para la cabeza, yeah, it means you working your way up to yeah. like starting from, you know, like the West levels and reaching the highest level. Uh, like like Sarah did, for, for example. Because as a coach, he started, he won uh, the Excellenza League and then he worked his way up to Serie A. If I'm not wrong. With Empoli, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, look, a lot of coaches have to do that these days. There's a lot of very good coaches in Italy. And now we can even see that with Tiago Motta, with Bologna, their fourth place. What do you think about the current Serie A situation? Current Serie A situation, I guess there is a, you know, like, total, like, dominance, like, Inter Milan. I, I guess they, they were... They will win the Scudetto. Uh, well, we your have... Milan is only nine points. Come on. 
Yeah, but points away. I, I mean, the, there's no comparison to, to different squads. Like, turnover possibilities are just like completely different. So, I guess Inter Milan also with Turan. Uh, I love that player. He's a great player. What a pickup. Yeah. So, so it's still weird for me to see uh, Turan playing offensively. Um, yeah. His, his father. So when I, it's like Maldini here, as well. When I, yeah, it was, it's so, it was Maldini even more. I guess. I've got a theory play? about that. <laughs> I, I think that because both of the fathers were defenders, that they would play with the kids, you know, in, in, a, in a backyard ah, so they or had whatever. To, they had to become yeah, very super good. strikers. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah, that. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. Football theories. I like with that. With Enzo like and David. That. Yeah. yeah. And what about, does Nesta have a son? Because Nesta for me was, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Nesta, I... I he's the, he's, for you, he's the best central defender. And I guess if he does have a son and that theory yeah. Yeah. has, has some uh, weight behind <laughs> it, then, then yeah. Well, well, you look at, the other Maldini son, Christian Maldini, as a defender, not very good. I think he played Serie C, Maltese League, yeah. this kind of stuff. So you can see he didn't have to really uh, – maybe he was defending against uh, Daniel Maldini, I don't know, and that's why he's not as um, – right, yeah, yeah. no one's as good as Paolo, but come on. You'd think son of Paolo, if you've got a defender there, that you're going to yeah, bring up a actually, really good your one. Your theory, your theory, like you – know, has solid, you know, grounds because, of course, uh, the, the stronger your opponent, the better you get. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look at Zola at, at Napoli. He had Maradona to to, to train with, mm-hmm. so of course he's gonna he's gonna become a better number ten than than some others. And even Bayano was from Napoli and was part of the Napoli youth around that time, and was no chance to get into the to the squad so he moved on and played with i think he went on loan yeah to you're called club. to as an athlete as a player you call it you you call to constantly raise the bar so yeah. it's a constant improvement that you have if your opponent if the person is play you play against is a is a legend like yeah, if your competitor is a legend you're gonna strive harder to to make it look at del piero when he was at juventus with baggio there you know he was very young coming through uh, look, it's not going to apply in every situation because you're going to have some flops, some bidon as well. Course, but that also depends. That also depends on how uh, the like the the competitor, uh, like his attitude towards you. Like if he wants you to improve, he's gonna do everything he can to to favor your improvement. Like, yeah, to guide course, you. If in advice, a relation, yeah. in a father-son relationship, of course that's going to happen. But that's not the case. For example, in a squad context, maybe if you are new to a team, if you're a potentially good striker and you're playing uh, together with uh, a legend, uh, maybe he may not be beneficial to your progress. As a, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. Uh, let's talk about some Serie A before we go into the Champions League. I want to finish off with the Champions League because it's just before lunchtime. I can I can feel that the water is boiling. The pasta is ready to go in for you. In 
So uh, obviously, look, Inter, top of the table. Juventus, second place for me is a surprise because I guess they have no other obligations besides Coppa Italia. Uh, Milan, third, your Milan. Napoli, fifth. Bologna, fourth for me is yeah, well, a big I, surprise. I want I want Yeah, I want your like wanted to know more about Bologna with uh, that incredible player they have. You're talking about Zixi? Yeah. Okay, he's been around for a long time and nobody really cared that much. But this season is his breakout season where it's kind of like in a movie where you have the girl, the nerdy girl with glasses, and then all of a sudden at the end of the movie, she's got makeup on, lipstick, and she's super hot. Yeah, she took the glasses off. This is Bologna at the moment, and this is Zixi because he's been around with a few different clubs. And this week, it was him. He was the architect of Inter's downfall in, in the Coppa Italia. Yeah, Bologna yeah. beat Inter. So it wasn't, just Frosinone, yeah. it wasn't just Frosinone eviscerating Napoli out of the tournament. Inter is also gone. For me, they were the top two candidates to win the cup. They're both gone. Frosinone and Bologna are through. So I think Bologna is going to take on Fiorentina and uh, Frosinone will wait for the winner of uh, Juventus and Salernitana. But going back to Zixi, he provided both of the assists in extra time. Bologna losing 1-0 because in the 92nd minute, Carlos Augusto scored for Inter. So with eight minutes left, and people, you need to go and see this goal uh, if you haven't seen it, the first one where Zixi, from a corner kick, the ball looks to be going out. It crosses the goal, goes all the way over to the left side, and he backheels the ball to a teammate, Bukema, who scores 1-1. But that assist is unbelievable. It is breathtaking football. So if this happened in the Premier League or in the FA Cup, this would be on every TV around the world. But Coppa Italia is not that well known. But Zixi did that. Then he set up the second goal where he nutmegged the ball through the legs of a Cherby. But it was like watching, uh, oh. I don't want to say Baggio, but it's yeah. that caliber of class. The, he, he knew he had the peripheral vision yeah. and he knew exactly what to do. He's really he something. A, He's really he knew something. a Cherby's movements. It's like the Matrix. He knew where a Cherby, was, his legs were moving and it was like a slow, slow motion for, for Zixi. Joshua Zixi is his name, 22 years old. Okay, so so far this season, seven goals in Serie A to assist. Last season, two goals and two assists. So he was the number kind of like in and out of the team last year because Arnautovic was still there. The season before that, he scored 16 goals with Anderlecht. And that's where Giovanni Sartori, who is the sporting director of Bologna, he realized, okay, let's get this guy, all right? So his transfer back then, uh, how much was it? Okay, so he was owned by Bayern Munich. Bayern Eight million yeah. euros. They got him at Bologna. Before that, he was with Parma for a loan spell as well. I remember watching him uh, when um, I moved to Italy to do commentary and Zixi was uh, kind of in and out with Parma. He didn't get too many games. He was very young, obviously 19, 18 years of age. But now he's 22 and he plays with the, the grace of like a 28-year-old, uh, maybe a Jokaev or something like this where he's just so good on the ball. And the through ball, he goes through the legs of a Cherby for the nutmeg. Then he takes the ball 20, 25 meters, draws in the inter-defense, puts the ball, the pass through. And then Dan Ndoy, who's the, the Swiss, he 
has he's too fast. No, no one's going to catch him. And then he gets to Aldero, oh, puts yeah. it over the goalkeeper, 2-1, finished. Inter's out of the Coppa. So no treble for Inter, no tripleta, nothing. So this is the, the, the key uh, fact, I guess, that we can see here. Bologna, that week, the weekend, they beat Roma 2-0. So they've only lost two games in Serie A. One was to Fiorentina, the other one to Milan. And uh, the, uh, for the rest of the season, 19 other games undefeated, including the Coppa. Wow. So they beat Cesena, Hellas, and then Inter. Now they will play Fiorentina. So there's a good chance that they will go through to the semifinal of the Coppa Italia because they're playing at uh, Dallara, the quarterfinal with Fiorentina. But that, it's not going to be easy. So, because we all know what Fiorentina can do. And, uh, you know, the Serie A uh, is, is a competition where they're fourth. So that's already giving them a lot of confidence. This weekend... Is a six-pointer. They're going to play Atalanta, so that we're going to yeah, see wow, how that goes. That's going to be. Uh, I think that Bologna is the like real revelation of the season. Well, oh, also yeah, if... Atalanta. Uh, I got. They have you know the they feature probably my favorite striker, uh, the Colombian Ronaldo. Oh yeah, Luis Luis Muriel. Wow. Yeah, no, he's great. He's the, the, goal, the goal against uh, Milan was uh, like pure class. Oh, that was like, beautiful. Like, that was, you that was do you remember work of art. Uh, the, 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 the last, it was kind of similar, but different in some ways, was uh, Menes, to remember the back heel. Oh, Jeremy Menes, yes. Jeremy, yes, yes, yes. Palermo, a player, Milan, yeah. a player with like a very, you know, like with many ups and downs, but... It was quality, wasn't it? But you know, yeah. he was playing for Regina, I believe, uh, in Serie B uh, last season before all of their issues uh, with the bankruptcy and the rest of it. But where is he now? Jeremy Menez, 36 years old. I think, it, uh, no, it, it might Current be, team, Bari. Yeah, he might be playing for some club, yeah. I don't know. It's saying here Bari on, on the old uh, Wikipedia. But uh, I'm going to type it into Flash Score, see what comes up. Uh, let's see. Menez. Oh, there's a few Menezes. Okay, Jeremy Menez. Football, Bari. 36. Has he played this season? He's just played one one appearance for Bari. Okay. So last season, five goals in Serie B with yeah, Regina and, and three assists. So he's still going around. He left Milan, went to Bordeaux, then Turkey, then New Mexico, then France, then uh, Calabria. Now Puglia, so I'm not yeah, sure. Definitely, be... definitely could have done more in his career. Definitely, oh, great player. Played great player. below his standards. Yeah, I guess for many reasons. But uh, yeah. yeah, back to Atalanta. Oh, Atalanta's great form at the moment. But uh, the, uh, so Atalanta's 26 points, Bologna 28. So it's a six-pointer, Enzo. Let's see what happens. Uh, what do you think of Frosinone? Frosinone, uh, another revelation of the Serie A this year. Also, Coppa Italia was, uh, I didn't expect that actually. But also, uh, we need to consider the fact that Napoli is not doing well at the moment. I guess they're, I don't know. Uh, oh, well, I mean, Mazzari sent out the second team, but. 
steal. And they yeah, dominated. To be fair, I mean, to be fair to Napoli, four 0 is a is a very bad scoreline. All the goals were scored late in the game, but they hit the post twice. They scored yeah. a pretty good goal. I mean, it was it was ruled as a handball for what happened in back play in the lead up. So fair enough, it's a, it's a part of the game. But uh, nice goal that they scored. It was nil nil. They hit the post twice. And then Frosinone scoring. Look, they're a good team. People underestimate these small teams that come up. Yeah, they're they underestimate. A newly promoted side. They're full of young talent. And this is something that we were speaking about a little while ago in this pod where we'd like to see younger players get opportunities. Frosinone is giving that to these young players. And so is teams like Monza as well, Lecce. Uh, and Bologna is the third youngest team in Serie A. So and they're fourth. So this is a big this is a big thing right now what they're doing, because a lot of inexperienced players, a lot of first second year Serie A players, and they're fourth. So the the credit needs to go to them, and the credit needs to go to to other clubs like uh, Frosinone and uh, Lecce and uh, even Empoli. They're not doing too well, but they they're putting a lot of players in like Baldanzi, Fancini and even giving opportunities to some of the veterans that need a second chance. But mainly, it's younger players. And uh, Sassuolo, of course, one of the clubs that do that. Genoa now is a lot younger than they used to be. Uh, Cagliari giving opportunities to Prati in midfield, part of the Azzurini setup. So it's, it's great to see. We need to see more younger players. Uh, but that, that, is, that is an issue that we're never going to see with Inter. Yeah. It's never going to be resolved with Inter, Juventus or Milan. No. And Milan has the 15-year-old, Camarda, coming through. What's your yeah. thoughts on him? Yeah, I hope. Like, I, they're starting to put a lot of pressure on him. I would have wanted him to be, you know, like a potential talent that never, you know, that never shows... Yeah. Another Paloski? You know, another Paloski or something, but expectations are very high at the moment. Yeah. What it did, Primavera, like, was uh, unbelievable. Uh, I don't know, like, the exact number, but I think he beat all the records and he's uh, probably now the one of the most wanted young talents on the market. So, but he will have to, you know, like to show what he can do on the pitch. But of course, but what happened? He's so young. Italy, so young. He's so young. We need to give him time. Like when what happens with uh, these very young talents is that they receive a lot of pressure from um, the environment, from the press, and they social media to live up to the expectations, not easy. Social media, as you mentioned. Uh, I don't know, do you remember the, 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 what happened with, I don't remember his name, but it was a talent 10 years ago. It was probably viral. Which club was this? AC Milan, AC Milan. Okay. So Milan, uh, look, they, they had a, a very bad period about 2013, 14, 15. So um, it could be a case of uh, of uh, when I I, 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 you know what, I, <laughs> I looked up 
I googled uh, some kind of I googled talento sprecato <laughs> and it and came uh, up yeah <laughs> mastur mastur Ashim mastur it was okay. uh, it was uh, a talent back in the day uh, it was okay yeah very skilled player uh, some videos like uh, you know there's like, a video that says the downfall of Hashim yeah, Mastur yeah he never uh, and he made it he's to, only 25 uh, now yeah yeah but he made it to play uh, for AC Milan I guess he was 18 there were very incredible expectations from him but uh, yeah, wasted uh, like talent. a lot of pressure as well and he you know he never proved his talent which is, I, I guess he also he, he was a good player but maybe a bit overrated or at least they put like too much pressure on him and he of course well it says it says here he was promoted to the to the Milan first team by manager Clarence Sador for the final match of 2013-14 become the youngest Milan player to feature in the league and but he didn't get actually any time on the pitch from there they loaned him to Malaga Zwolle uh, Lamia in the Greek Super League Regina Carpi and now um, after being yeah, clubless, we're talking about two different kind of players like Camarda I guess he's a striker like uh, yeah, these guys are more a gold a machine, a gold yeah. machine. Like Mastur is uh, like potential number ten. Like yeah, so of course two different positions, and of course you know like well, he played so, for the Italian under 16s as well. So I, I guess the promise was there. Didn't yeah. get any opportunities with Milan at the end. Went on loan and didn't perform. Maybe he had other things in his life he was more interested in, but. It says here the style of play described as a fantasista in Italian. Um, quick, versatile, creative, agile, highly yeah. skillful, excellent technique. And uh, at the age of 14, his main abilities were ball control, dribbling. So, yeah, it would have been interesting to see if he actually came of age. He's only 25 now. So, yeah. Still time, Hashim, if you're still listening time, in. Still time, still time. <laughs> Listen to Enzo. Maybe make a comeback. Maybe you can join Enzo's team in <laughs> Pineto. <laughs> okay, let's talk Champions League, then I'll let you go so you can get the al dente pasta in your system. Um, <laughs> just in case Nona's over. Um, so let's go. Now, look, obviously, Lazio is an underdog, to say the least. They got Bayern Munich. You're going to be the, the stadium announcer? What's happening? Uh, no, but Munich no, is not a language that I can cover, of course, because it's German. Okay. And, uh, but I don't know, like, uh, the expectations are like, you know, like Lazio, uh, a friend of mine, he says that you recognize when Lazio is into the game from the first 10 minutes, that when they play well, they can, you know, like they, they can beat anyone. Oh yeah, we and, saw what they uh, did to Napoli. Yeah, because Sadi's a very intelligent coach. He knows how to adapt. But uh, I feel like he coaches better against teams that he knows well. Because he coached Napoli, he's got confidence against yeah. them. He knows the, the inside out of some of the, 
some of the players. But with Bayern Munich, it's a very different uh, situation. I think he's still good enough to, to get the best out of these players. But no Milinkovic-Savic. They need him, I think, uh, to to at least even intimidate some of these Bayern Munich yeah, players. I, uh, sorry is a strategist. I have the utmost respect for him as a coach, also as a person, because I had the pleasure to meet him multiple occasions now. And, uh, you know, I, I believe he has a very uh, rational and logical approach to games. And, uh, you know... Uh, but uh, against Bayern Munich, the quality players will have to do something. Uh, it's going to be up to Immobile and Pedro, the most experienced players. Because of course you, you, and also Bambino. Ah, yeah. oh, Felipe Anderson. Ah, oh, okay, okay, all right. So, yeah. well, yeah, he's, he's, he's on, the, on the right side of attack and. He's, he's a very gifted player. He's got a very good record against Inter as well. The, the German side, they will give space uh, for, the, for the likes of Immobile to run into because they do like to play a high line. So maybe that will happen for Sari that they can go over the top. Cataldi is a very good distributor of long balls. Um, and then, you of course, you have Luis Alberto, come on, in, in the Lazio midfield. So... Look, anything can happen. We've seen bigger upsets in, in football. I'm, I guess of the Italian teams, Inter is the favorite to, to go the furthest in yeah. the competition. And uh, Napoli would be the second favorite. Look, it's a, a situation where Bayern Munich are second in the Bundesliga. Many people would just assume that they're first, but Bayer Leverkusen are first at the moment. So not everything is going their way. So there is a chance. The game will happen in February. So there's time for Lazio to get some form if they can get a good run because at the moment they're 11th in Serie A. But they have the Super Cup coming against Inter. Yeah. So a chance to try a few things out for, for Maurizio Sari. And uh, Lazio, their form isn't very good. They've lost the last two games, but that was against Inter and Atletico Madrid. But before that, they got some some good wins. Cagliari, Celtic, Genoa. Um, you know, look, they, they, they can turn things around, just like Roma have done. Uh, Lazio and Roma had a very bad start to the season. And maybe it's a, it's a case of working their way in. And look, they're going to be the uh, long shot for, the, for this game yeah. against Bayern. Bayern are one of the probably two or three favorites, along with Real Madrid and maybe Manchester City. I don't know. They're not playing very well either. So, um, what do you think of Napoli Barcelona? Well, I think that that's really an incredible match. It's going to be an incredible game. Two teams who share something, you know, like like uh, Maradona and also yeah. some kind of uh, you know like some common elements. And uh, some common cultural elements. So it's definitely and they like to be... play very creative football, both yeah. teams. Yeah, it's going to be a game worth watching for sure. But uh, Napoli, I, I believe that in this kind of situations, they, you know, they can definitely show... They, they, they need to stand up at, at this point in, uh, in the season. 
and uh, I guess they they'll be called to a real challenge against Barcelona. But, well, it's uh, a chance for them to to fight for their reputations because a lot of people are saying, you know, the title defense it's rubbish. It's as bad as Milan's title defense, to be honest. Um, and I think Milan were lucky that Juventus had the points taken away because it looks better that they finished fourth as defending champion, but really they finished fifth. Napoli looks yeah. like they're going to do the same thing or, or could be worse, could be a sixth place finish, would be the worst title defense in a long, long time. So then this is their chance to stand up and, and make a statement in the Champions League. And also to change the course of this season, you know, because yeah. maybe in the Serie A you're not doing well. Last year you won, but maybe now time is ripe to do something at the European level. Because maybe last year you had a very uh, complicated, like a difficult moment at the end of the season. You were uh, like leading Serie A and there was also Champions League, so you couldn't focus on both. Now uh, Serie A, you're fifth. But maybe you can maybe try and win against Barcelona. That be that, that could change the course of the the season. Yeah. Yeah, and Barcelona is not a team that is in great form either. Yeah. Because of the four Spanish teams left, and congratulations to La Liga, they have four teams in the in the knockout round of 16. But Real Sociedad for me is a great team. Uh, Atletico Madrid playing good football. Real Madrid unbelievable. Look at what they did in their group. And obviously, no Jude Bellingham for me, no party. So I think if he's not playing and Vinny Jr., they can't win it. But hopefully, it's, it's and assuming no one gets have. injured. Yeah. Sorry? It's a really good chance they have. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a great chance with Real Madrid, with, with Bellingham. But I think Napoli have the weakest of the Spanish teams at this point. Now, Barcelona could change the direction of, their, of how they play. They are the current Spanish champion. Napoli is the current Italian champion. Yeah. So it's going to be a good, uh, good build-up to the game. There's going to be a good feeling about it. The first game is in Napoli, the second one in Barcelona. So we'll see how Napoli goes with that specific circumstance. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter for them last time when they lost to Milan. They had to go to Milan first. They, they played in Napoli second. So their home ground form is not the defining moment of Napoli season because they've been better away than they have at home. So that is not going to affect them, I don't think. Um, and that could be something that affects Barcelona more, playing the second leg at home. We, you don't know. You just don't know how players are going to turn up on the day. Hopefully, Victor Osimhen is available <laughs> because we're going to see how... AFCON goes. The African yeah, Cup is in can January. Be a game changer for sure. Like, of course. I mean, look what happened without him last Champions League, yeah. because he came on against Milan, scored a goal in the second leg, but a very late goal, and Milan was was good enough. The game plan they had, I, I like to call it um, uh, Milan Nacho, where they you just put three players on Kvaratskhelia, uh, make sure there's no distribution from the left, and you can clog up the space and play on the counter-attack. Brahim Diaz was sensational. He was like the, the libero in that circumstance, getting back and then creating everything going forward. So uh, it's a situation where Napoli have to adapt. And the third coaching change in five or six months is not helping them. But yeah, yeah, for sure. to be honest, Enzo, I think Luciano Spalletti was, was always going to leave. I think the whole thing with De La Rentes, the argument, uh, I feel offended, all this kind of stuff. 
I don't know, uh, a lot of things, uh, I don't want to say are scripted, but for me, Spalletti, he was found out by Maurizio Sarri with Lazio. Then Pioli learned how to play against Napoli through what Sarri did. They employed the same tactics and they were stifled Napoli. They, they put an end to their creativity and Napoli couldn't put their chances away. Just like against Frosinone during the week, this has always been a problem for Napoli. They create so many chances. Even back when they had Insigne and Mertens and uh, even years before that, they could never get the ball into the net when it counted the but most. They did create, yeah, sure. But they, they, they've always created a lot of chances. But it's about the scoreline, unfortunately. You don't get points. You don't get little half points and quarter points for hitting the post or missing by, uh, you know, one foot. So uh, this is an issue for Napoli. They need to put I the ball in the back might, of the they, net. Yeah, they, they kind of like, they might live in the, what could be defined as superhero syndrome, in this case, Ozyman. Like, without him, they, they feel they, they can't score. And uh, even though they do have other players who, like, who are kind of dangerous, very dangerous, but uh, without well, they've him... Got a, they've got a good problem. Osimhen wants to play every minute. But the problem is, is that if he's playing every minute and Simeone is the backup striker, he's not going to get any game time. Yeah. So uh, he is good enough, Simeone. We saw what he did against Milan Very last good. season with a header and scored three or four good goals. Uh, remember, Napoli won seven games in a row without Osimhen last season to, to be able to stay on top of Serie A, which is uh -uh, what... Yeah help them win it you know that set the foundation that set the season that that intimidated all the other teams it yeah, subdued yeah, yeah. Serie A so they they do have the talent but they don't have the defense they need to borrow Bologna's defense they got the third best defense in Serie A they need to take them put them in the Napoli back line and then everything would be rosy but uh, unfortunately they have a lot of issues at the back and unfortunately Lazio do as well they're conceding goals but Inter for me are the best chance to win the Champions League. They have Atletico Madrid. Now, you would have seen a little bit of Atletico because Lazio had that group. And uh, Simeone, the coach, the ex-Interista, uh, midfielder, a great coach. He's been with Atletico for over a decade. A lot of success considering that they're not the biggest club in Spain. And what do you think? They have a chance to, of course, to to go through this first knockout stage. Atletico Madrid is definitely a good opponent, but uh, Inter Milan is, a, is, a, is in a very good form. So right now, I, I believe that uh, yeah, um, they have good chances to make it. And uh, Atletico Madrid, we saw Simeone, Tough opponent, but uh, Inter Milan uh, some very talented players too. And Turan, you uh, say he's a revelation. Uh, Lautaro, always hungry for uh, trophies and things. I, I, I think he's still, you know, like benefiting from winning last year the World Cup. Uh, I believe that that guy, that player, gained an incredible confidence. Also before that, but winning the World Cup definitely added something to to his confidence. 
and also the rest of the squad. I think they're kind of complete. Um, <laughs> I'm not happy <laughs> to have to say this, but Inter Milan has really good chances to, to make it at the Italian level, also at the European level. Last year, they, they lost the final. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and they played well in the final. Come on. Well. I mean, for me, they played a little bit better. I covered the yeah. final. and They could have won. They could have won. There was City, City yeah. were nothing special. You know, no, City no. were playing a different brand of football, but then they, they, they came up against Inter and Simone Inzaghi adapted to his opponent. This is what it's all about. Uh, yeah, there were two crucial moments during the game. Like, Lautaro didn't, like, assist someone uh, like, who was in the like, better position to, to shoot and he tried to score from a very difficult angle and Lukaku missed like yeah. something and uh, Lukaku thing yeah. Yeah. yeah shocking but look uh, that's the way history's panned out into losing There's finals football. can they go one better this season uh, look we hope an Italian team can do something maybe for you you would prefer Lazio or Napoli to win it than Inter as a yeah, as definitely, a Milan fan. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen if it's uh, Inter against I don't know uh, Real Madrid in the final? Who you who you supporting? That, that's tough. That opens <laughs> to a, a very interesting you know reflection on my own. Like when I'm in Italy, I tend to root for the foreign team. Uh, like, because I wouldn't want to have, because I wouldn't want to live a situation in which Inter Milan fans are cheering around or similar things. But I discovered that if I'm abroad, I was in Canada, for example, where Juventus were, was playing uh, UCL final against Real Madrid. And I realized in that moment that I didn't want Juventus to lose the game because it was yeah. a kind of. get the feeling. A national feeling coming out. national feeling. Yeah, coming out. Patriotism, yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. It's the same. Unexpected unexpected patriotism coming out when when I'm living abroad. It happens. (laughs) Uh, Look, I can assure you, Australian-Italian listeners, American-Italian listeners, they would agree with you. And that's the way it is. If you live in these other areas of the world, it is more about how the reputation of Italian football sits compared to individual club agendas so uh, there's a lot of guys that support Milan but will support Inter if they're playing in the Champions League so this is how it is outside of Italy this is how it is outside of England for English people they'd prefer to see a lot of them would prefer to see you know if they're a Manchester United supporter they don't mind seeing Liverpool or City win Uh, look I know there's a lot of people that would say the opposite as well but there are those that exist that want to see their country win the Champions League or the Europa League. Or also, like also because when you when you're abroad, like when you have a casual chat at the bar, and you're like, and a maybe an Italian club is doing good, you know, it's always something good to experience. Like uh, it means that your national football is in form. Yeah. And uh, for example, when I was uh, in Bath, like now ten years ago. Uh, Italian football was uh, in, in a crisis, I guess. But after Inter Milan triplete, so it was a very delicate moment. Inter Milan uh, uh, had won something like a uh, one Champions League, 
a couple of years before, but in that moment, uh, Serie A wasn't a very interesting league. But we still, but but I still could perceive the respect uh, for the Italian football as a whole. Like, uh, yeah. So when you're abroad, you do want to feel that kind of respect for uh, <laughs> for for your league and also for Italian clubs in my yeah, case. And your heritage and it's the same with the the national team like you'll find that foreign born Italians they actually support Italy the most and then the clubs but of course the clubs fill in the time until the world cup or the euro cup yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's how it is like we a lot of those fans they want to see players play for the biggest clubs so that they get better and better and better and then when they play for Italy, they'll win something. And that is the mentality. That's, that's the logic with yeah. the foreign-based Italians. But look, I don't want to give you, uh, you know, mal di pancia before lunch talking about <laughs> Inter winning the Champions League for you from a Milan perspective. But Enzo, let's leave it there. I want to say thank you so much for joining. Next time, we'll have another chat. We might talk about some Super League or talk about how Lazio go against Bayern Munich or... Whatever it is, we'll, we'll see what you're, what you're up to as well, if you're DJing, translating. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, yeah, 100%. And uh, it, look, this is the Christmas podcast. So, you know, happy Panadona to everybody. Happy um, Pandora as well. Yeah. Uh, Everyone has their choices in Italy to make, whether it's the Pandoro or the <laughs> or different Pandora brands. Pandora is like, is like the, you have to pick a side, you know. You have to pick the sides. This is like a derby. So, it's like a derby, yeah. That's what what's meant. Santa going to pick? Babbo Natale, thank you. Uh, I've been a good boy this year. Uh, so is Enzo. Yeah. So make sure you treat us well. Make sure you treat Serie A well, please. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you, Enzo, for Thanks joining. So Thanks for inviting and me. Pleasure, pleasure. So good to have you. Oh, Enzo, one thing. I mentioned at the start of the podcast that we were doing something together as a project. Yeah, Enzo and yeah. I have come up with a, with a dictionary of of expressions to say from Italian to English and vice versa. Enzo, tell us a bit more. Yeah, it was uh, an idea that we had, I guess, a couple of years ago. And uh, we started to create our bilingual football agent project, like a dictionary we try to find correspondence equivalents for certain football expressions on and off the pitch. It could be useful for like professionals in this field. In fact, I was thinking that we, at some point, we might want to maybe do something serious with it. Maybe publish something. If we, we need to publish and then have updates. I think. Yeah. So, so this is like giving people that that follow in, uh, Italian football an insight into what a traversa is yeah. or Paolo or, or like uh, we say something saved there's the follow-up oh, parato c'è la ribattuta yeah. or Messi is denied by Courtois Messi viene fermato da Courtois exactly and and also some football idioms so specific sayings that revolve around football maybe off the pitch and this is what we want to do. We'll yeah. create this situation. We can update it. And I guess if you, if listeners have any great ideas, get in contact and let us know. We've got a whole stack of stuff sure. uh, already compiled. We will release it maybe uh, in the new year, 2024. One other thing we can do, Enzo, is 
as uh, coming from musical backgrounds, we could go through all the greatest uh, culture songs. Wow. Or, or perhaps <laughs> some of the remixes that have come out in the last few years, you know, when Milan win or when uh, Napoli wins, that I, I noticed there was a lot of new songs and a lot of remixes. So starting from po, 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 po. Yeah, the theme song for the LEGO Football Podcast. So we'll leave it there, Enzo, once again. Uh, buon pranzo, buon Natale, eh, ci sento. Thanks. Thanks, David. If you're new to LEGO Football, you can follow us at LEGO Football on Twitter. We're also on YouTube and on Facebook. I'm David Freeney. I'm at David Freeney underscore. Thanks for joining and we'll see you next time. This is LEGO Football.